0: Good evening. Welcome to Darnell Edwards' Viewpoint. Your program with nationally recognized guests who are experts in their fields discussing today's most pressing issues and where your viewpoints matter. So call with your question or comments about this week's topic or whatever else may be of concern to you. Just call Darnell at 563-999-3660 to share your viewpoint. Now with this week's guest, Here's your Viewpoint host, Donnell Edwards.
1: Welcome. Welcome to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints. And I am your host, Donnell Edwards. We thank you for joining us for tonight's program, which uh, is going to be very informative. uh, Expose of the corruption inside America's correction system. And we have someone that has uh, firsthand knowledge of that to share with us. This is Women's History Month, as you may know, and in celebration of the outstanding contributions of women to our society, the CWR Talk Network is proud to present a series of short vignettes about some of the women who were pioneers in the fight for women's rights and others who are representative of the phenomenal contributions women have made in all areas of society. So join us in saluting the contributions of women to our world. When we return in a few minutes, we're going to take a break right now, but when we return in a few minutes, uh, we're going to discuss with our special guest the corruption inside our correctional system. So please stay tuned.
0: Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag 1 million strong.
2: When being bullied online, you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool, and by letting your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org, brought to you by the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million strong.
3: If
1: you just joined us, this is Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints, and our topic tonight is expose of the Corruption Inside America's Corruption System. And our special guest is author and former correctional and probation officer, Mr. Gary York. Mr. York is the author of the books, Corruption Behind Bars, and Inside the Inner Circle. After serving in the United States Army in the Military Police Corps, Mr. York began his career with the Department of Corrections as a correctional officer. He was later promoted to probation officer and then senior probation officer. He was promoted once again to senior prison inspector, where for the next 12 years he conducted criminal civil and administrative investigations in many state prisons. Gary was also assigned to the Inspector General Drug Interdiction Team, conducting searches of staff and visitors entering the prisons for contraband during weekend prison vacation. Please join me in welcoming to the CWR Talk Network and Donnell Edwards' viewpoints, author and correctional system expert, Mr. Gary York. Welcome, Gary.
4: Hello, and thank you very much for having me on today. I really appreciate
1: it. You're very welcome. We thank you for coming and joining us. Uh, Gary, uh, please tell us about your, your books that we just mentioned, uh, Corruption Behind Bars and Inside the, the Inner Circle. What well, we'll, uh, should readers expect from uh, reading those books?
4: Yes, sir. Well, after 12 years of investigating crimes in the Florida prison system throughout the entire state at many different prisons, I uh, would have people ask me, of course, the case had to be completed and and, and and over with before you could talk about it. They would say, tell me a prison story. And I would tell people some of the things that go on in prison, and they just couldn't believe it. Because most of our people know that There probably are some bad things that go on in prison, but they don't know exactly what. And people encourage me to please write about it and get the truth out there. So these books will have true stories of actual investigations that I conducted involving drug smuggling, abuse of inmates, inmate attacks on officers, weapon smuggling, staff inmate love affairs, and cover-ups all the way to the top-level person in the entire Florida Corrections. And uh, that's a shame when you have to say that, but uh, it, it happened here in Florida, and, and it's not the first time that that has happened.
1: Okay. Now, since you have written your book and you have brought all of these issues into the light, uh, have, have you received any kind of repercussions or threats from Uh, the prison systems where you worked
4: well while i was working investigations actually uh conducting investigations i did have a, a death threat uh in in charlotte county florida where um some officers had abused an inmate for a number of days and he died in the process and we did a federal indictment on these uh, 10 officers And uh, I did receive death threats During some investigations um, I thought That I would receive some repercussion After these books came out But believe it or not although All the honest officers ha- ha- A lot of them have said They bought my books and read them Because honest officers Do not like corrupt officers You know, corrupt okay. officers take the image of the honest officers
1: Okay Very good. Now, your background for most of your career has been in various areas of the correctional system. So can you share with us some of the forms of corruption that you witnessed in addition to the ones that you just mentioned?
4: Yes. um, One of the worst things that I can see that I've had to work on is when your management – Gets involved in cover ups. And when I say management, that could be from a sergeant to a captain. Something has gone wrong on the shift. An inmate has been injured or something has happened. And rather than just tell the truth, they get together and write false use of force reports and write false reports to make everything fit. And this really is bad because you've got a lot of officers that do not want to participate in this type of activity. And now they're on the line, you know, the thin blue line. They have to make the decision, should I talk, should I tell on them, should I report them? They may even get threats from some of the corrupt staff. So I would say cover-ups of crimes in our prison system, we just have to stop that. We have to get rid of it totally because we're not going to get any better, and we're not going to fix problems within the prison if we have leaders or people in leadership positions that are trying to help cover up things.
1: Okay. Now, uh, would you say, based on what you just said, that the problem with the leadership, in some instances, covering up these, these situations that occur, would you say that that is one of the major problems contributing to the corruption in the correction system?
4: Yes, because if your supervisors are not going to fix a problem, they're actually part of the problem, what does that tell a young officer who just comes into the business? And they're looking up to their leaders to guide them in the right direction.
1: Right, right. Okay. Now, although there's uh, the widespread corruption within the the correctional system, much of this has been – reported on, uh, would you say, because I think that the image that many people uh, who are not familiar with what, go- what goes on in the, 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 uh, the correction system may have the image that most of the officers are corrupt and engage in this corrupt activity. But based on your years of experience, uh, would you say that most of the officers are corrupt Or would you say that most of them are honest and hardworking individuals who put their lives on the line and are trying to do uh, the right thing?
4: Most of the officers are not corrupt. And, you know, you tell that to some people and they look at you like, well, (laughs) I just read in the newspaper, you know, uh, officer did this, officer smuggled drugs, officers abused inmates, officers (laughs) smuggled cell phones in. And, you know, when you read these things in the newspaper, it sure is hard to believe that most are honest, but the, the truth is through my travels, the majority of correctional officers are honest, hardworking, but we have a group of officers that taint the image of the honest officers. And unfortunately, this group of dishonest officers make a lot of noise. And when they do something, it's usually pretty bad. And therefore, it's in the news headlines. So you're not going to see the good stories. You know, officers save lives of inmates. Uh, Inmates suicide, they save their life, or an inmate passes out, and they do CPR on the inmate. Or an Mm -hmm. inmate is about to be uh, raped, and an officer notices that this inmate is in danger of being raped, so he steps in and and takes the inmate away and and tries to get him uh, in a different location. People don't see all that. They only see the bad reports. Okay. You know that's that's really unfortunate.
1: I, I have to admit, and and I'm uh, really feel bad. You know, but I, I'm one of those that have seen all of the reports and read the articles and feel right. like most of the officers are corrupt too. And when I, I started reading your book and read some of the things about you, I, I, I found the blog that you had written, and, and you put a lot of emphasis on the fact that most of the officers are. Uh, really trying to do the right thing. And it gave me a whole new perspective. And that's one thing I really wanted to bring out in this, this, uh, this program this evening, because another part, part of that is I don't think uh, many people realize how dangerous the work of a correctional officer is. So what are some of the challenges that may result in good correctional officers becoming corrupt? In, in addition to the ones you already mentioned,
4: right? Well, some officers come into the business without the intention of becoming corrupt, but they fall into the trap of the uh, inmate manipulation. Okay. Uh, inmates are, are, are very good manipulators. I mean, they have twenty-four hours a day, you know, to think of things, and inmates will look for a weak officer. Uh, maybe an officer with low self-esteem, maybe an officer who uh, needs someone to talk to. I mean, we're all human, and this does happen. It's a little city. Prisons are little cities, and they're all human beings inside the prison. So, and inmates will listen to an officer who has a financial problem. He Maybe he's talking to another officer saying, I can't pay my mortgage, and I'm going to lose my house. Well, the inmates will move in or zone in on these type of officers and become – befriend them and offer them help. And, you know, unfortunately, some of the officers will fall for that trap and take the help, maybe meet a friend on the outside and pick up $800 for the mortgage. But the problem is the inmates not giving you $800 for free. You have to do something. So maybe you're bringing in food whiskey, drugs, you know, who knows. So there are a lot of temptations. There's also um, the fact that uh, male officers working with female inmates and female officers working with male inmates, we are all uh, have that human aspect, you know, and sometimes we'll have – the people either fall in lust or love I call it Sometimes okay. it may be really love And sometimes it may be lust So now you have a staff inmate love relationship And those are very dangerous Because we've had many inmates escape across our country From someone who fell in love with an inmate And will do just about anything they want You know bring them in uh, hacksaws A weapon, uh, cell phones, things like that
1: Okay Now uh
4: excuse me Uh, you
1: state that uh, fear of retaliation is the main reason officers are afraid to report staff misconduct you kind of alluded to that already so what means are available to officers to protect themselves from retaliation for standing up doing the right thing and reporting corruption when they observe it
4: well you know we need to start teaching more ethics classes. Um, I have written a couple of articles on ethics training and corrections, and I've uh, gotten a couple of agencies to start teaching ethics because I looked around and I saw that in our academies we're not teaching a lot on ethics. You know, we're doing the self defense and the shooting and the inmate manipulation and uh, you know things like this. But not telling the officers this was what is going to happen to you if you commit a crime in prison. If you commit a crime as an officer, you could end up on probation or prison yourself, you can lose your uh, certification for life and never be an officer anywhere again. And the thing is we're not, we're not teaching officers right from wrong. It's very you know ethics is pretty simple, right from wrong and we're not teaching that enough. And, uh, again, I hate to always go back to supervision, but the supervisors need to get up out of their desks, away from their desks, and go look at their officers and see what they're doing and see if they notice somebody that's becoming over-friendly or or doing something they shouldn't do. uh, And then they need to let their officers know that if you report an officer for misconduct or doing something criminal, we're not going to retaliate against you. I hate to use this term, but it, it still it still exists in many parts. The good old boy system. You don't mm-hmm. tell on my officers, and you don't say anything. You come to me and let me know, and I'll take care of it. But you know, and what that does, you have a good, honest man or woman, and you're now you're starting to turn them the other way. You know, you're 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 making them not report misconduct. Right.
1: And, you know, it's it's kind of hard, uh, very difficult when you have a lot of peer pressure with most of the other people that you work with uh, doing the wrong thing. And you're trying to stand out and and be honest and do the do the right thing. Uh,
4: I I read something
1: else, too, when I was uh, researching for this about that was real interesting to me. And I I never had given any thought to it. And it was uh, about radicalized prisoners. And it it mentioned that. We live in an age where uh, you have people going in, into prison who have backgrounds maybe with a drug cartel, or with gang affiliation, right. or um, maybe even terrorist organizations, and maybe the people in the prison system don't know that, and they have have friends or relatives that maybe get them in uh, uh, a mobile phone or something, and they can actually call outside and threaten the correction officers. Family or the correctional officer them, themselves to try to coerce them to do what what they want to do. So could you could you speak to them about that?
4: Yes, and you know that's happening more and more. We are getting a lot of prisons, and there's a lot of prisons um, down on the borders too in Texas uh, with the uh, Mexican mafia, and then we have the uh, uh, all the different gangs in prison and they are actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, because they're actually recruiting people. Now, you say, how would they recruit people to work in the prison? Well, they know people that are connected that have no criminal background. So they're asking them to be a correctional officer, actually go through the academy. Now they're working in a correctional officer uniform, but the entire get them to work for Gangs in the prison so now you have someone On the inside who can bring all These things inside and and out of the prison For you It's on certain people And you're 100% correct These gangs uh, Can face threats against You or a family member And that's a tough spot to be in You know do I go tell the authorities Or I'm afraid to tell the authorities because I'm afraid They're going to hurt my daughter or my son You know right Right,
1: so it, it it sounds like almost like a uh, no-win situation in some of these uh, circumstances. Uh, we're going it, to take a break right tough, now. It's real tough, but
4: yeah. you have to watch yeah. it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. We'll be back and talk some more about this. If you just joined us, this is Donnell Edwards' viewpoints, and our topic tonight is expose of the corruption inside America's correction system, and our special guest is author and former correctional and probation officer Mr. Gary York we would love to hear your viewpoint about corruption in our correctional system so call us now at 563-999-3660 when you call please remain on the line and we will get to your call as soon as we can uh, that number again is 563-999-3660 when we return We'll be discussing zero tolerance on corruption in the correctional system, so please stay tuned.
0: You're listening to The CWR Talk Network. America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million
3: strong. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat, and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does
1: it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky,
3: right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It
2: might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live.
3: Learn more at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Hi, my name's Yahoo Williams. I'm a historian. And here's what you need to know in order to sound smart about women gaining the right to vote. From the time of the American Revolution through 1920, women fought to attain the same social, political and economic status in the United States as men. In 1920, women in the United States won the right to vote by virtue of the passage of the 19th Amendment. But the struggle to attain that right was a long one, fraught with violence, political turmoil, and social upheaval. Many of the leaders of the women's suffragist movement actually got their start in the abolitionist movement and other social reform movements in the 1830s and the 1840s. The Civil War and Reconstruction proved to be a critical moment for women pushing for the right to vote in the United States. In the aftermath of the Civil War, Congress committed itself to ensuring the right to vote for African American men through the passage of the 15th Amendment. The 15th Amendment stated that the right to vote could not be abridged or denied based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. It, however, said nothing about gender. By the turn of the century, more militant and radical voices were working their way into the fight for women's rights. Alice Paul, for instance, pushed for the adoption of an Equal Rights Amendment. One of the ways that Paul and her supporters sought to dramatize the issues associated with women's suffrage was to stage massive parades. One that they conducted on March 3rd, 1913, was done so to coincide with the inauguration of President Woodrow Wilson. The women hoped, that this would dramatize the denial of a basic civil right to women. Authorities often brutally suppressed female suffragists who employed such tactics. Alice Paul was once placed in solitary confinement and beaten because of a picket she staged at the White House. The brutal treatment of female suffragists actually helped to strengthen public support for the movement. And in 1918, President Woodrow Wilson announced his own support for women winning the right to vote. The denial of more than half of the United States population to participate in the political process at one time was damning to American democracy. In 1920, that changed, and the 19th Amendment was a revolution in American politics. 1920 is a banner year and a milestone in American democracy for what it accomplished for women and what it represents for those who are marginalized in American society, even today. You're listening to the
0: CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million strong.
1: Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints. Tonight's topic for discussion is expose of the corruption inside America's correction system. And our very special guest is author and correctional system expert, Mr. Gary York. Before we uh, continue, we would like to recognize the CWR Talk Network Corporate Citizen of the Month, and that's Dick's Sporting Goods. Dick's Sporting Goods has a history of being a good corporate citizen, and we're recognizing the company for their recent action to immediately discontinue the sale of assault-style rifles, and high capacity magazines, and requiring all purchasers of guns to be at least 21 years of age, regardless of the local laws. Dick Sporting Goods has taken this action in a very volatile political climate that is sure to cause them backlash from gun lobbyists and others opposed to stricter gun control, and may result in financial loss. However, in spite of this knowledge, Dick Sporting Goods did the right thing, the responsible thing. As a result of this, the CWR Talk Network is proud to recognize Dick Sporting Goods as our Corporate Citizen of the Month for March. And now we return to our program. If you just joined us, uh, we are discussing expose of the correction inside America's correction system with our special guest correctional system expert, Mr. Gary York. Gary, you promote the concept of zero tolerance for corruption in our correctional system. Please explain how you uh, feel that that goal may be achieved and how to prevent corruption in our correctional system.
4: Yes, sir. Well, the number one thing, you know, we need to get our lawmakers involved in this they have to start paying attention because it seems like we put inmates in prison throw away the key and forget about them and we read articles where officers are doing this or doing that and 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 being corrupt and smuggling drugs but yet we just let it go we just continue continue the cycle and until we get everyone on board this cycle is going to continue now I don't know if we'll ever be able to stop it 100%, but I I do believe we can put a big dent into it. We need to train our supervisors on how to recognize suspicious behavior of a staff member. We need to ensure, as I said in segment one, that staff know the consequences of staff misconduct. You know, you're going to go on probation are you going to go to jail? Are you going to go to prison for some of these crimes that you're committing as, a, as an officer in uniform? We need to reinforce our rules of conduct and ethics training. And when we conduct investigations, we need to be fair. See, here's something else that, that bothers me. Well, the, we conduct an investigation, but that's, that's uh, Senator uh, Johnson's um, uh, nephew, so he gets a uh, slap on the hand. You know, I'm just using that as an example. Okay. Right. And here is just your average correctional officer. He's not related to anybody in a position of power. So we're going to fire him and and put him in jail and, and and convict him to the fullest. We have to have effective, impartial, and adequate investigations with the same treatment for everybody. We cannot do we cannot get into that good old boy system. It's got to go.
1: Okay. Now, in order for substantial changes to be made in the, uh, the system, it would appear, and you, you, you've mentioned this, it would appear that those in control of the system must be willing to make drastic changes. So let's talk about some of those in the, uh, the roles of uh, those in the roles of power and how they may affect these changes. So we want to revisit some of the things we've, we've already talked about now first of all tell us what the role of administrators in the correction system are and why administrators in the correction system must be more transparent more forthcoming
4: well uh, the administrators oversee the prison system and it is the administrator's job to protect everyone in the prison no, not just officers, not just the civilian staff, the inmates as well. Everybody behind that prison wall is, is – the administrators are responsible for. You know there's an old saying that people have heard over and over, care, custody, and control of inmates, where, well, care is one of those things. We're not throwing them in there and forgetting about them. We have to care for them. You know, They get their uh, medical. They get their dental. And they get their food, and, and, you know, there's things that have to be done. Uh, You know, if you have a son, daughter, or family member in prison, uh, and you're a mom or dad or brother or sister, you're sitting at home at night hurting and aching. Your heart is aching, worried to death about them. You sure hope the prison administrators are doing what they're supposed to do. And by being more transparent, they need to tell their staff, what they're expecting, and why they're doing it, especially today more than ever. You know, in the old old days, everybody said, well, don't worry about why you're doing it. Just do what I tell you. Well, you know, we, we have a new generation now. The millennials are, are taking right. over the uh, corrections now. And millennials, they want to know why. I'm not just going to go do that. You need to tell me why. So it helps to get the people involved. Tell them why we're doing it. Explain to them uh, what outcome we're looking for, and then you're going to get people to work better and, and get along better, and maybe we can stop some of these bad things that are going on.
1: Okay. Now, another area is uh, the role of local, state, and federal lawmakers and changing legislation that you mentioned previously uh, that results in prison reform that's designed to eliminate corruption. What are some of these uh, legislative changes that you recommend to improve our correctional system?
4: Well, you know, the legislature and and a lot of the uh, arms of the legal system, they oversee and pass laws that protect our citizens. And in the prison setting, they must set laws also and rules to protect everyone in prison. So we have to get everybody on board. Um, We cannot just forget, you know, I have a lot of uh, people call me, uh, either private message me or, or get a hold of me and say, they still call me Inspector York. Inspector York, my son has mental illness, and he's being doped up with all these drugs, and he's just sitting in a corner rotting away. What do I do? And, you know, I'll tell them where we can write some letters to and things like that, but a lot of these letters aren't being read and our senators and, and legislature and, and, and people in these power positions, they need to stop and look at this. You know, the mental ill inmate, the inmates with a mental illness, the juveniles in prison. I mean, uh, until they start passing laws to help these inmates and stop passing laws to put money in their pocket, we're not going to help anybody.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the juveniles and those with mental illness uh, because there's probably, I would think, a large percentage of uh, those people who are in prison who would fare better in a different type of institution. Is, is that is that inaccurate or is that uh, pretty accurate?
4: No. Um, you know, let's just start with persons uh, who have a mental illness. Correctional officers aren't trained. Correctional officers aren't trained in mental illness. Yes, we have some counselors and some psychologists in the prison, but they're only there from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. They're not there 24 hours a day. The officers are there 24 hours a day. The officers may be trained a little bit in crisis intervention, but there is no serious training on how to handle a person with mental illness. So, what is happening? The person with mental illness gets a little aggressive. The officer does not understand this aggressiveness, and they mm-hmm. end up, you know, throwing him down. Maybe, uh, you know, I've investigated abuse on mental ill uh, inmates. And, you know, you need to understand that a mental ill inmate is going to be different than a regular inmate. Right There's ways you need to talk to them and stuff So these inmates are not benefiting behind the prison wall And unfortunately, as you probably know They shut down many, many, many mental health uh, facilities across the country And just throwing them in prison now
1: Right Right, I understand Now, uh, you're listening to Donnell Edwards' viewpoints And our topic tonight is expose of the corruption Inside America's Correctional System, and our special guest is author and correctional system expert, Mr. Gary York. If you would like to speak with Mr. York and share your viewpoint about the correctional system, uh, give us a call right now at 563-999-3660. That number again is 563-999-3660. When you call, please remain on the line, and we'll get to your call as soon as possible. That number again is 563-999-3660. We'll return after these important messages and discuss the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ATLIC as it's known, also the privatizing of prisons, the school-to-prison pipeline, and the prison commercial complex, so stay tuned.
0: listening to The CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is The CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million strong.
1: Today we We decided decided to walk to to school. school. The The light counted. Fifteen, fourteen, thirty-one, I mean thirteen. We We took took a a left left on on Carroll Street. Street. Danny's smart, but he gets
4: distracted.
1: I realized Realized he
4: forgot his homework.
3: When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council.
2: Alice Paul was a radical suffragist during World War One. She and the National Women's Party were the first group to ever protest in front of the White House. In 1917, in many states, women still could not vote. And Alice Paul was single-minded in her efforts to achieve suffrage for women in America. She was known for being incredibly fierce, and she was not well-liked in the suffrage movement because she was so radical. Alice Paul was from Philadelphia. She was the daughter of devout Quakers. Early in her life, she'd been radicalized in London, participating in the suffragist movement. When war broke out, there was a lot of pressure for all Americans to get in line and follow behind Wilson. But Alice Paul actually took the exact opposite approach. The National Women's Party were out in front of the White House even once the war began. She and the National Women's Party questioned this and said, how can you be proclaiming this vision for democracy abroad while at the same time suppressing it amongst a huge population at home? And this was a really strong position and a really radical position at that moment in time. Wilson realizes that the public relations disaster of these women making this point ultimately is not worth it to him she refused to back down and finally, it works. Not too long after that, Wilson came out in support of suffrage.
0: You're listening to The CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million strong.
1: Welcome back. This is Donnell Edwards, Viewpoints, and thanks for joining us for tonight's discussion, expose of the corruption inside America's correction system. We're joined tonight by a distinguished Arthur and correctional system expert, Mr. Gary York. One of the glaring problems with the current correctional system is the disparity between black inmates and white inmates, and the judicial system that's designed to incarcerate minorities and the poor in order to keep the prisons full, in order to achieve profits for companies that are contracted to run many of the prisons. What can you tell us about the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC as it's known, which is the moving force behind privatization of prisons for financial gain and profit?
4: Well, these, um, the American uh, Legislative Exchange Council is a nonprofit organization made up of conservative state legislators and, and the private sector who want to make money. And okay. yes, it is true. It is very true that they're, they're feeding off of the poor, minorities, uh, any poor person. It doesn't matter who you are. They're feeding off that. And private prisons are, are bad news in my opinion. I've always been against them for uh, several reasons. But they – this uh, is happening right now, I believe, right now our president is wanting to privatize more prisons and when i heard that i thought oh no i wish i could just tell him face to face you know i almost <laughs> wanted to send him a, a tweet but i didn't want to get into that but um uh, uh i wanted to send him a tweet and say you know that's the wrong thing you're really jumping off on the wrong thing with this private prison business but uh and then i thought about it and i said well the private prison is big money so they're probably going to right, right do everything they can to get these things going, you know? Right. Um,
1: Now there's also another very troubling trend for many of us and and, uh, me included, and that's the school to prison pipeline. And according to the American Civil Liberties Union website, and I'm quoting, children are funneled out of public schools and into the juvenile and criminal justice systems. Many of these children have learning disabilities or histories of poverty, abuse, or neglect, and would benefit from additional educational and counseling services. Instead, they are isolated, punished, and pushed out. Zero tolerance policies criminalize minor infractions of school rules while cops in schools lead to students being criminalized For behavior that should be handled inside the school, students of color are especially vulnerable to push out trends and the discriminatory application of discipline, end of quote. Now, Gary, do you agree uh, with the assessment of the ACLU about the school-to-prison pipeline, and if so, what can be done about it? And if you disagree, how do you explain what's going on?
4: Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just did a video. Now, some people are opposed to the uh, juvenile boot camps, but I just want to quickly say something about the juvenile boot camp. They're taking them away, and I was actually a drill instructor at a juvenile boot camp, and we had a lot of success stories. I think it's a great alternative to jail or prison. Now, I understand some people don't like it. They think maybe the military part's a little too tough. I don't think it is, and I – I saw a lot of kids finish that program and come back a couple of years later and say, Thank you. I didn't go to jail and I didn't go to prison. Now, yes, they couldn't leave the program. They may have been in it from ninety days to two hundred and forty days, but they didn't get a jail or prison record. You know, once you are once you get a record, it just ruins your whole life. So why are we getting rid of programs to help juveniles they're fading away fast and right here i can see it in our own county here in florida all the juveniles are just thrown into the jail or or off to prison and you know it's you think my god you know a huge percentage of these juveniles don't need to be sitting in jail or prison they need to be out here in some type of program to get some education some discipline and a lot of them will succeed, and we can prevent that. So, no, I agree. We're making criminals out of a lot of them way too early.
1: Okay, very good. You now, know, what, made, I mean, what I mean by that is yeah. we're
4: making them the criminals. You know, we right. can, look. How many of us? I'm 59 years old. Back in the day, you know, I, I maybe gotten in fights in school, uh, and I got suspended for three days. But now you're getting a fight in school. There's something wrong with you. You know, we need to arrest you. And uh, back in the day, you'd get a three-day suspension and go back to school and everything's over. And I'm not a criminal, you know.
1: Right. Uh, it's a lot more drafting measures now. And, and like you said, once you get into the system and you have a record, uh, that that just seems like that uh, makes things a lot more severe than they, 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 they would have been. Put the person – put that young person on, on the wrong path. Now, another and now, major you, issue, now you're labeled. You know,
4: you've labeled them. Exactly. And, you know, yeah.
1: exactly. Uh, another major issue that we alluded to briefly earlier is the uh, prison industrial complex, which is uh, built upon and operates via a commercial framework. So when friends, family, or prisoners uh, outside of the advocates uh, do business with these corporations and banks that have their hand in the the cookie jar so to speak of these exploitative prison profiteering and labor uh, they are investing in more prisons harsher sentences jim crow type laws and tactical militarized training aimed at prisoners and urban communities so gary how does the privatizing of prisons and operating for profit as well as the school-to-prison pipeline, which result in prison overcrowding and other issues. How do these things uh, contribute to the corruption in the prisons, or do they?
4: Well, private prisons, to me, number one, and I'll answer your question, they're not any better than state prisons. Actually, they're worse because I have witnessed myself people – that were terminated from the state prison system for misconduct. Now, not criminal, but just misconduct. Right, okay. And in my travels, I would go to South Bay, down near Miami, to a private prison, and I would see that state officer that was fired in the state prison working in the private prison. Now, if that officer is not good enough to work in a state prison, what makes him good enough to work in a private prison? They just want bodies to fill the uniform, And they want to make their money. I mean, look at what they're making money on. The private food service, the private health care, the video visitation. There's so many things that the inmates' families are paying for. You know, they're making a killing off of human beings is what I I say. And then the ones that have to pay are the families. The families have to pay this money. A lot of inmates' families don't have a lot of money. And then you tell them, Long-distance video visitation, since you can't drive, is going to be $12 an hour? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know? I know. <laughs> that's great.
1: But that's that's the system right now that uh, a lot of people seem to want to promote because so many people are making money from it. Lots of money. Well, the Just like you was rich saying. are
4: going to get richer on the private prisons. Yeah.
1: And, and then uh, you have all of these prisons being being built and when the the uh, complexes are being built, then they have to have bodies to go into them. So it, it, right. it's almost almost like uh, the, the judicial system is working to help feed people into those prisons by some of the things that you mentioned before, criminalizing some of these young people for doing things that would have been a suspension in school in, in previous Correct. years. So it's 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 really sad, really sad to uh, correct. You, uh, see things. You, we were yeah. we
4: were suspended from things, and now today's children are being arrested and booked in and and made into a uh, criminal.
1: Right, right. Okay, so uh, in conclusion, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners?
4: Well, I would just like to reiterate one more time for as we said at the beginning. Correctional officers are honest, hard people. It's the it's the few bad apples that taint the image, and boy, taint it. they really taint it. They really put the uh, news out uh, for the media to use, and we don't hear all the good stories. But our decisions we make every day and our actions reflect either in a positive light or a negative light. So as correctional staff and correctional administrators, we need to think before we leap And we need to be public servants, professionals for the community. You know, we work for the taxpayers. So the least we could do, the least we could do for the taxpayers is be ethical and try to make the right decisions.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Gary. Uh, Now, how may our listeners contact you to learn more about your work or to get your books, uh, "Corruption Behind Bars" and "Inside the Inner Circle," or uh, to hire you to speak to their company or organization?
4: Yes, sir. Um, CorruptionBehindBars.com is my Facebook page. And okay. um, you can message me on my Facebook page, Corruption Behind Bars. Uh, the books can be ordered through Amazon on Kindle for only 99 cents each or paperback from me through Corruption Behind Bars, and I'll sign it before I mail it. CorruptionBehindBars.com. You can order through there, and um, my information is on LinkedIn, Twitter, and my Facebook page. Okay, very
1: knows. good. Okay, so basically the, for the books and in, in most other things, it's uh, Corruption.com?
4: Corruptionbehindbars.com, or go to Amazon, and, and both books are on Amazon, paperback and Kindle.
1: Okay, all right, great. Gary, thank you so much for talking with us and uh taking us on this journey inside our correctional system and helping us to understand the challenges correctional officers face every day in their jobs and the corruption that exists within the correctional system as well as the the, the fact that most of the corruption uh correctional officers are they're trying trying to do the right thing. They're not as Uh, We see them portrayed in in, in the news media uh, so much. So on behalf of the CWR Talk Network, thank you for appearing tonight on Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints. We really appreciate it.
4: Thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed it. Take care. Okay.
1: All right. We'd also
4: like to thank uh, each of you, our listeners,
1: in the CWR Nation for joining us for tonight's broadcast. Uh, Next Monday, that's March 19th, my guest will be speaker, writer, author, world traveler, adventure connoisseur, holistic health advocate, and creator of the Normal Eaters Club, Miss Jen Hand. Now, we will be discussing how to enjoy eating normally, the truth about dieting and health. So if you would like to know how to eat normally and control your weight without dieting, You don't want to miss this program. That's next Monday at uh, 6.30 uh, p.m. Central Daylight Time. And don't forget, we're also available now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google+, and if you miss any episodes, you may listen to them through these services. Uh, That's it for tonight. Uh, Have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next Monday. And as has become our custom we leave you with our musical message for this week, and back in 1994, there was a collaboration of over 40 African-American male R&B, neo-soul, and soul music artists who were known as Black Men United that did something special to focus attention on black owned black crime and the plight of young Black men. The people involved included Gerald LeVert, D'Angelo, Ryan McKnight, Boys to Men, El DeBarge, Silk, Tevin Campbell, Tony Tony Tony, Usher, and many, many more. The masterpiece they created, you will know, was featured on the soundtrack of the fourth Whitaker movie Jason's Lyric. Proceeds from the song were contributed to the United Negro College Fund the Children's Defense Fund, and other charitable organizations. We hope you enjoy tonight's musical message. You will know from Black Men United.
0: To the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million strong.